ladies and gentlemen, and I want to personally welcome you to this new podcast called The Crucible. My name is Pastor Justin. I am your faithful host, and this podcast is designed to function the same way metal functions when put in a hot crucible. Uh, Just as that metal heats up and the impurities are refined and purged out of that material in order to reform that material into something better, stronger, and more pure, so too we need to take the various Uh, ideologies, philosophies, and theologies and place them in the crucible of Scripture to purify and reform them to be consistent with the Word of God. So I'm glad you're here with me, and this episode, I want to be a a foundational episode of sorts where we lay the groundwork for how we should approach seeking truth. I don't know about you, but it can be discouraging looking at our culture today, and so many different groups claim to have access to the truth. There are so many different ideas being thrown out in the marketplace of ideas, and we see more and more people being confused, disoriented, or even getting to the point of giving up on seeking truth itself, settling for a subjective Surrender, where we essentially say, there is no objective truth. Everyone, no matter how they feel, think, or what they believe, can have uh, truth, and there is really no way to tell what is objectively right or wrong. Well, don't be discouraged, because I'm convinced that that is the opposite of what we need right now. We don't need a surrender to subjectivity. Rather, we need to understand that the truth can be accessed, that the truth can be found, and it is located in the word of the living God. So, today we will engage with what I believe is to be the foundation of my mission here at The Crucible, and that is to understand what God's Word has to say about the ongoing controversial hot topic issues and beliefs in our culture. So let me start with this, that I I believe there are so many different uh, claims to truth. You have Mormons, Roman Catholics, Baptists, non-denominational Christians, Muslims, atheists, the rise of the nuns, or agnostics. So many different groups claim different things about reality. How in the world will we be able to carve our way through these beliefs and come out with objective truth? Well, I believe we can if we hold to something that I call the sufficiency of Scripture. The sufficiency of Scripture teaches that the Bible is our highest authority, and it is clear. In other words, the Bible is supreme, and it is clear in what it teaches so that it is accessible to humble people like us. When others doubt or downplay or flat out deny the supremacy or clarity of Scripture, it leads to uh, recognizing on their part that Scripture is not sufficient, and therefore we have to go to other ultimate authorities to discern truth. What do I mean by ultimate authorities? Your ultimate authority is your highest authority or your highest standard in which you test all truth claims. When you encounter uh, a claim of the culture, you ultimately, inwardly, and intellectually have to determine, is this claim true or false? 
You determine that by comparing the claim to your ultimate authority, to your highest standard, to the filter in which you interpret and understand reality. For some of us, our ultimate authority is scripture where we go to the text of the Bible and we take those various claims and we say, what does the Bible say? And whatever the Bible says, we will submit to. In that case, we believe in the supremacy of Scripture as the Scriptures are ultimate authority. But let's be honest, many today don't have Scripture as their ultimate authority, but rather it is their feelings. So they take a claim and if they feel good about it, they'll believe it's true. If they don't, they'll discard it. Or maybe their ultimate authority is a person in their life, a parent, a friend, a a son or daughter, um, a celebrity, a politician. Well, they'll take that claim and say, well, what does this person say about it? And whatever that person says goes. Maybe in a religious context, that person is a prophet. Maybe a prophet out in Salt Lake City, as the Mormons supposedly have. Or maybe it's a pope for our Roman Catholic friends who say, this is the vicar of Christ. What he says goes. No matter what, we all have ultimate authorities. And when we have differing ultimate authorities, this ultimate leads to differing conclusions about foundational issues. How can we as a culture, for example, approach the issue of marriage and come to radically different conclusions about what it is? Or what about the life of the unborn? Or what about the issue of gender? We can go to all of these different issues and we come to radically different conclusions because we're using differing ultimate authorities. And I am convinced that if we get our ultimate authority right, then suddenly this becomes a lot more simple. Then suddenly truth becomes a lot more accessible and you'll find yourself having confidence and peace as you can move forward intellectually, spiritually, and emotionally, knowing that you can grasp what is objectively true. Recently, I saw a video where it was two people walking their dogs, and they were having a good time, a very relaxing walk in their neighborhood with their two small dogs trotting right uh, beside them. And then from the bottom of the screen, I saw something that caused a chuckle, but also greatly concerned me. There was another person supposedly, quote unquote, walking their dog, but really the dog was walking them. That dog was sprinting left and right, and the person was essentially being dragged behind that dog. And it ultimately disrupted the peaceful day the other dog walkers were having. Well, we have an example there of two people or multiple people walking their dogs in different ways. Uh, To keep this simple, we'll say one dog walker had the dog on a leash and the dog was following them. That when that person turned left, the dog followed. When that person turned right, the dog followed. While that other person, uh, they weren't walking their dog, their dog was walking them. That if that dog turned left, that person was going left no matter how much they didn't want to. Well, when we approach scripture as maybe our ultimate authority, there may be some who give lip service to it. But really what they're doing is they have the Bible attached to a leash and they drag it behind them wherever they go. Rather than having the Bible lead them, that if the Bible says go left, we go left. If the Bible goes right, we go right. Rather, some attach the Bible to their emotional and intellectual leashes. And it doesn't matter what the Bible says. If they want the Bible to say something, they'll make it say something. If the Bible says go left, but they say go right, they'll drag the Bible to the right, no matter how much effort 
it takes. I believe this leads to much of the confusion we have today about a number of issues that even if some give lip service to the Bible being their ultimate authority, at the end of the day, they have it on a leash. They don't follow the Bible. Rather, they force, contort, and pressure the Bible to follow them no matter what it has to say. But I want to encourage you, listener, today that if we want to be like Jesus, then we recognize that the Bible or God's word is supreme and our ultimate authority. And rather, we need to release our leashes from it and rather have it leash us. That when the Bible goes one direction, we follow. This is what I call the supremacy of Scripture. Let me read a portion of Scripture here where you'll hear Jesus articulate what I'm convinced is this truth. In Matthew chapter 22, we see Jesus asked a question by the Sadducees. And I'm not necessarily going to get into the substance of the theological question itself, but I want you to catch something in Jesus' response to the Sadducees. In Matthew 22 verse 29, listen closely to what Jesus has to say to these religious leaders. But Jesus answered them, You are wrong because you know neither the scriptures nor the power of God. For in the resurrection, they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like angels in heaven. And as for you, or rather I should say, as for the resurrection of the dead, have you not read what was said to you by God? I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. He is not the God of the dead, but of the living. And when the crowd heard it, they were astonished at his teaching. So that was Matthew 22, verses 29 through 33. And I want you to catch something here. I want you to recognize that when Jesus was responding to the religious leaders of his day, he said, Sadducees, you are in error because you know not the scriptures, nor the power of God. In other words, the ignorance of the scriptures was a foundational reason why the Sadducees were in error. How much more do we see that today, where different groups are in error because they are ignorant of what our highest authority says? But furthermore, check out here in verse 31, where Jesus says this, Have you not read what was spoken to you or what was said to you by God? And then Jesus quotes an Old Testament verse. Notice what Jesus does here. Jesus says, Sadducees, you don't know the scriptures. And also, Sadducees, have you not read what God spoke to you? Interestingly, in normal parlance, we would say, have you not read what was written to you? But Jesus says, have you not read what God spoke to you? I hope you understand the significance here that Jesus, when quoting the Old Testament, considered it God speaking, not just to that original writer thousands of years ago, but God was actually speaking to the reader of it today. That Jesus could look at the Sadducees and quote the Old Testament and say, now that you've heard it, now that you've read it, God has spoken to you. The same goes for us, but there is an important point we have to understand here about the supremacy of Scripture, that Jesus understood the Bible to be God speaking. Now, my question for you to consider, dear listener, is what authority is higher than God? In fact, what authority other than God himself is equal to God? When we read Scripture, Jesus says it is God speaking.
If we dare to have the audacity to suggest that something other than Scripture is equally or more authoritative than the Bible, we are essentially saying God is speaking there as well. That if we say, yes, I know what the Bible says, but I feel, if our feelings trump Scripture or even equal to Scripture, you're essentially saying that something's more authoritative than God. Than God. Or rather, you're saying your feelings are equivalent to Scripture itself. Well, let me share with you that if your feelings are as, author- as authoritative as the Bible, or if your feelings are more th- authoritative than the Word of God, guess who's God in that relationship? Not Jesus, but you. Or two, if we look at politics and say, well, I know the Bible says this, but my party says this, or says something different. And if we end up following our party rather than Scripture, then we're saying that our political party is more th- authoritative than God himself. I think you see where I'm going with this, that Jesus understood Scripture to be God speaking. Logically, God is our highest authority. So therefore, when it comes to the issues of marriage, of of life, of sexuality, of politics, of theology, we need to submit to that, which is God speaking. And God only speaks authoritatively, supremely, and with clarity in the Scriptures today. So the supremacy of Scripture is important to understand. We could go to another uh, several verses here. I won't for the sake of time, uh, but we could go to 2 Timothy 3, where Paul echoes this truth that Jesus just described and says, All Scripture is inspired by God, the Greek word theonoustos, which literally means the breath of God, that Paul says every Scripture is the very breath of God. Again, it is God speaking, therefore a highest authority. We could go to the fact that Jesus, in the beginning of Luke, rebuked Satan three times by quoting Deuteronomy when he was being tempted in the wilderness by the devil. We could go to other Gospels and show how Jesus corrects and refutes unbiblical tradition by using Scripture itself. That when we look at how Jesus and the apostles and the prophets used Scripture, they used it to rebuke Satan. They used it to correct tradition. They used it to refute faulty religious teaching. They used it as their highest and supreme authority, and so should we. And when we do, suddenly the cultural confusion becomes a lot more clear. Suddenly, these issues that we are struggling to form conclusions on become a lot more simple because we have access to the truth. Well, again, there might be Christians out there, quote-unquote Christians, who will give lip service to the scriptures, who will claim the scriptures are their highest authority, but then they'll still come to a number of different conclusions. I mean, again, we have Baptists, Lutherans, Methodists, Roman Catholics, Mormons, Jehovah's Witnesses, Eastern Orthodox. We have hosts upon hosts of quote-unquote Christians who claim to have truth, but why can't they even agree on a number of issues? Well, this comes to the clarity of Scripture, that there may be those who claim that Scripture is supreme, but then they also say the Scriptures are unclear and that only a select few can truly understand the text. So they downplay the clarity of Scripture. Therefore, I would argue that means the Scriptures are insufficient, except for those, the select few, who understand it correctly. And a lot of systems like Roman Catholicism and Mormonism and Jehovah's Witnesses, uh, they'll say things like, yes, we believe the Bible to be the word of God, but ultimately they all have an infallible authority outside of Scripture that is 
as authoritative as Scripture, if not more so. So with Roman Catholicism, you'll have, yes, Scripture is important, but you need the Pope to infallibly understand what that Scripture means. Or you need tradition to help you infallibly understand what Scripture means. If you go to Jehovah's Witnesses, they'll say, yes, Scripture is important, but you need the Watchtower Society to fully understand what it means. If you go to Mormons, they'll say Scripture is great, but you need Joseph Smith and our current prophet, the Book of Mormon, and so much more to understand what Scripture truly means. And when you have this type of approach to the text, it, again, results in lip service that sounds good, but on a practical level, Scripture becomes inaccessible to the common man, and you are fully dependent on authority outside of Scripture to tell you what it is. That is not the New Testament or Old Testament understanding of the text. That is not Jesus's understanding of the text, and nor should it be ours. Let me here illustrate why this is so important and why someone who gives lip service to the Bible or says they're biblical doesn't necessarily mean they are. Uh, In our culture today, there's a hot-button issue of abortion, and last year we had a monumental decision by the Supreme Court where Roe v. Wade was uh, decided and recognized to be unconstitutional. Before that decision, and even after that decision, you still have two sides to this debate. You have the pro-choice side that clings to the uh, claim that abortion is constitutional. And then you have the pro-life side that says, no, abortion is unconstitutional. Everyone seems to be thinking they understand what the Constitution means. How could the Supreme Court in the early 1970s rule that abortion was constitutional while the Supreme Court today, or last year rather, suddenly has a 180, suddenly changes their mind and says, actually, it's unconstitutional. Is the constitutional so unclear we just can't figure it out? No, rather, the constitution is quite clear, but there's different philosophies to interpreting it. There's different approaches people take, different hermeneutic, which is a fancy word for interpretation, and how they understand the constitution. For example, there's a liberal philosophy called the living constitution where their approach to the constitution is that it is a living document that essentially needs updated in order to speak to the issues of today. That when they read the text, they uh, downplay or even disregard the original intent of the author and rather they see how can we interpret this today to be applicable in the way we want it to be to modern day issues. So history original intent. The actual grammar of the Constitution has little value, but rather the power is in the interpreter to decide what the text means today. So therefore, you have the living Constitution uh, philosophy, uh, which uh, the liberal side of our uh, country claims Roe v. Wade constitutional in that light. And they approach this uh, from the 14th Amendment. So I'm not sure if you've uh, been familiar with this debate, but uh, liberals in their understanding of the Constitution, they would appeal to the 14th Amendment in order to justify constitutional support for abortion. Let me read for you a little bit from the first section of the 14th Amendment, where we'll hear what this amendment has to say and where allegedly the support for abortion comes from. 
It says this, no state shall make or enforce any law which shall abridge the privileges or immunities of citizens of the United States, nor shall any state deprive any person, listen closely, of life, liberty, or property without due process of law, nor deny to any person within its jurisdiction the equal protection of the law. So here you have the 14th Amendment say that no state shall deprive any person of life, liberty, or property. Now, the uh, liberal uh, justice will approach this and say, it doesn't matter what the original intent of the author was. Today, we understand liberty to include reproductive rights. We understand liberty to include what a woman wants to do with her body, and therefore abortion is protected under the 14th Amendment. Now, if you hold to that living uh, constitutional framework, many will say, amen, this is constitutional. But there's a different philosophy that goes in interpreting the Constitution. You have more conservative Supreme Court justices that hold to what's called the originalist approach to the Constitution, that we should conform not to what our feelings or our desires of what the Constitution or what we want it to say. That should not reign supreme. Rather, we should go to the grammar of the text and the intent of the author, and that should be what the text means. So then the originalist approaches this and say, says, the 14th Amendment in no way was intended to support abortion. We understand this because no one in that generation talked about it. None of the justices commented that they wanted this to support abortion. In fact, uh, just look at the laws of that day and well into the middle of the 20th century, there was essentially a universal agreement that abortion was banned, was immoral, was illegal up until Roe v. Wade. And with this, it is clear that the authors of this amendment it never entered their minds. It never got close to entering their minds that by liberty they meant to protect abortion. Rather, this was written to protect slaves who were recently emancipated. But you can see that both the right and the left can claim abortion is constitutional or unconstitutional because they have different approaches, approaches to interpreting the text. And one approach is greatly flawed. The living constitution approach allows subjectivity to reign supreme, where the constitution essentially has no meaning because it can flex, mold, and uh, reform to whatever you want it to say, to the point where these authors penned these words, never thinking it would be used to protect abortion, but suddenly it is reformed, re-understood, and it is taken out of its historical and intended context to mean something it never meant at the, at the end of the day. But how many people approach scripture that way, where they don't look at the history, they don't look at the grammar, they don't look at the intent and the author, and they say, I want scripture to mean what I want it to mean, so therefore all my beliefs are biblical because I can subjectively interpret the text to mean whatever I want it to mean. That is not a healthy way to use scripture. That's not the way the prophets, apostles, and Christ used scripture. They didn't say that scripture was so unclear that everyone could use it however they wanted and make it mean whatever they wanted. The Bible has a meaning. It is objective. And I would argue it is clear on the things necessary to salvation. And we need to approach the text saying, I want to conform my feelings, my thoughts, my beliefs to it, not the other way around. Let me demonstrate this from the text itself. In Acts chapter 17, we'll see an example of the clarity of Scripture and how it is to be used in the Christian life. 
Here in Acts chapter 17, we have Paul and Silas entering Berea, where they are sharing the gospel. And listen closely here to how, uh, well, Luke is writing this here because it's the book of Acts, but how uh, the inspired author describes the Bereans. Let's begin here in verse 10 of Acts 17. The brothers immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. And when they arrived, they went into the Jewish synagogue. Now these Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica. They received the word with all eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were true. Many of them therefore believed with not a few Greek women of high standing as well as men. So I'm going to pause here, but you see here that Paul and Silas entered Berea, and the uh, Luke describes these Berean Jews as more noble than those in Thessalonica. Why? Because they received Paul and Silas's teaching with eagerness, and they fact-checked it, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. Listen closely to this. If the scriptures are so unclear that they are inaccessible except to a select few, like a pope, a priest, uh, a prophet, or a, a kind of uh, imaginary tradition, or if the scriptures are so unclear that they can be malleable to fit whatever subjectively we want it to, the Bereans could not exist, nor would the inspired author compliment them by calling them noble. Rather, the author here, Luke, says that these Berean Jews were being good, <laughs> that they were noble for taking the Apostle Paul and Silas's teaching, <clears throat> excuse me, and saying, before we believe this to be the case, we need to fact check it with scripture. And they succeeded, and that's why they believed, that they took the Apostle Paul himself and said, Paul, you are not above scripture. Paul, I know you did miracles. I know you're an apostle. I know you saw Christ, but you are not above the text. If what you're teaching is consistent with God's word, then when we open scripture, we should be able to demonstrate that. And Luke calls them noble. If anyone tells you that you cannot understand the scriptures for yourself, they are misleading you. Now, I'm not saying that, again, I'm not saying everyone's understanding is equally valid. We need to approach it not in the liberalizing, subjective, quote-unquote, living constitution where the text can mean whatever we want it to mean. No, but when we approach the text and say there's a history, there's an intent, and there's grammar, and when we approach the text being led by the Spirit, saying we want to submit to what it says, we can test all claims just like the Bereans. In fact, I would say we can refine all claims and ideas in the crucible of Scripture itself. So let me conclude here because I don't want to take too much of your time that it can be discouraging seeing all the different claims in the, the culture. It can be discouraging seeing everyone disagree with one another. It can be discouraging seeing Christians themselves and all their different sects and denominations claim to have truth but see things differently. But to cut through the chaos, let me remind you of this. The scriptures are sufficient which means they need to be supreme and they are clear on the things necessary to salvation. We see this in Jesus saying the scriptures are God speaking, that the scriptures are God breathed, that the scriptures can and should be used to rebuke Satan, to correct religious leaders, to correct tradition. And we see that even non-apostles and, uh, and, and humble, uh, normal folk like us, like the Bereans in Acts 17, can use scripture to test even the apostles. And when done correctly, they will confirm that that apostolic teaching, or in this case, that Pauline teaching is true.
So let me equip you with this. Your highest authority should not be your feelings. Your highest authority should not be a person. Your highest authority should not be your politics, the pope, a prophet, or even your local pastor. Your highest authority needs to be what Jesus said it should be. Your highest authority needs to be what the apostles and prophets unanimously say it should be. And that is the scriptures themselves. And when God speaks to his people, he does it in a way that is understandable. He does it in a way that is accessible. How silly of a thought it would be that God would communicate with his people, but 99% of them just can't grasp it. So we have to rely on, again, a pope, a prophet, or someone else to explain it to us. No, scripture is crystal clear on this issue. If you view the Bible as the word of God and you consistently use it as your highest authority and you read it and approach it in the way Jesus described, looking for the intent of the author, looking at the grammar of the text, saying my feelings should not leash the scriptures and drag it to where I want it. Rather, I will conform my thoughts, my feelings, and my actions to it not the other way around, then you will cut through the chaos and find truth. You will find clarity in the midst of confusion. And saints, this is exactly what this podcast is about, that we're going to start taking all different types of claims, philosophies, ideologies, and theologies, and we're going to apply the heat of scripture to it. We're going to place them in the crucible of the word of God. And like the Bereans, if we find that those claims survive the crucible of scripture, then we know they're consistent with truth. But if we find that there are elements of a certain teaching, impurities that get purged from an ideology, we will not believe it to be true. Rather, we will reform and refine those ideas until they're consistent with our highest standard, which is the word of the living God. Thank you so much for your time today, and I will see you next week when we'll encounter another idea, maybe another philosophy or another theology, and you can join me as we place those in the crucible of scripture. God bless you, and have a great week.